what we're going to talk about now, which is the Haggadah. All right, on this sheet, um, Rabbi Sachs is here. I want you to, to know he's responsible for the aesthetics of these sheets. And so, uh, I don't know exactly, uh, I see matzahs and a seder plate, all of which, and four cups of wine. That's good. Okay, anyway. Okay, the Rambam says, the Rambam says uh, uh, several things about the mitzvah of Sipu Yitziat Mitzrayim. This text is the Rambam, Chometz and Matzah, Perikzai. The Rambam talks about your obligation on the night of Pesach during the Seder to fulfill the mitzvah of Sipur Yitziat Mitzrayim. And the Rambam discusses several things. I want to start from Halacha Dalit. Halacha Dalit, I mean, everything in the Rambam is based on the Mishnah in the end of Pesachim and the Gemara. So I don't have to keep saying that. Right, it all comes from the mission and the Gemara. The only thing is that, uh, that you know, maybe you have to comment if there's a difference between the Mishnah Gemara on the one hand and the Rambam on the other hand. But we will not, you know, get into those fine details tonight. The Rambam in Perek Zal, Halacha Dal, says an interesting thing. Of course, and it's, by, it's a, a Mishnah. It's a Mishnah Sachim. And the interesting thing is that the Rambam says, when you tell a story, how do you know when it begins and when it ends? Now that to me is an interesting question. I mean, when does the story begin? Now we know that the story is about Yitziat Mitzrayim. And we also know, we also know that the story, according to the Rambam, the Rambam says in Halacha Aleph, Mitzvah say that the story, that one of the kernels of the story is Nisim and Niflaot, miracles and wonders. But when it comes to when does the story begin, for example, then it's not so clear to me. For example, why shouldn't the story begin with Abraham Avinu? After all, isn't it true that HaKadosh Baruch Hu promised Avram Avinu that his children, his descendants, would be slaves in the tribe? Didn't it start then, when Hashem said to Avram Avinu, slaves in the tribe? Or, alternatively, maybe the story should start from Yosef. Yosef, after all, was the harbinger of the uh, slavery in Mitzrayim. And he was responsible for bringing his family to Mitzrayim. Or maybe the story should begin with Moshe Rabbeinu. And Moshe Rabbeinu, after all, he's the one who stood up and freed the Jews, or, or, um, or led to freeing the Jews. Just as the beginning of the story is not clear, so too the end of the story is not clear. The Torah says, tell the story. In order to tell the story, we have to agree about where it starts. And we have to agree again about where it ends. Now, where's a good place to end the story? Maybe Yoshua Benun. Maybe the entry into Eretz Kena'an. Maybe the conquest of the cities. 
maybe the death of Moshe Rabbeinu, maybe Har Sinai, I'm going backwards, right, maybe Har Sinai. I mean, here we are, we have to decide, we have to tell a story. I mean, I tell a story, and every story has a beginning and has an end. So the Mishnah says, and the Rambam quotes, and the Haggadah averts, that matchil b'knai b'knut u'misayim b'shvach. That's those are the parameters of the story. That the story is not history in the horizontal manner, but the story is history in the ethical value-oriented manner. So the story is about down to up. That's the story. It's not from A to B, across a timeline. It's not from the beginning of it to the end of it. But the story has to explain why you're telling the story. In other words, if telling the story doesn't make itself evident why you're telling the story, then obviously you haven't told the story. Because the essence, on some level, of the mitzvah, Sipo Yitzhak Mitzrayim, is that there's a point to it. And since it's entirely the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, it's a creation of mine. It's true, I've got a lot of material. I've got material in the Chumash, I've got material in the Mishnah, but it's really, let's say there was no Haggadah. I mean, it's true that Haggadah is a fairly early, right? The time of the Rambam, the Gaonim, they were already at the Mishnah. It seems that there was some sort of Haggadah. But not like today, where we are. We are locked into the Haggadah, right? We don't move from the Haggadah that we have in front of us. But in theory, in theory, we make up the Haggadah. It's a story that we make up, so we have to have a few parameters. So one parameter the Rabbam gives us is, Nisim v'niflaot, that's in Ta'aloha Aleph. But another parameter that the Rabbam claims is, that the story has to have a beginning and an end. And the beginning, from the beginning until the end, there has to be a moral component that helps us to understand why we're telling the story. It was Nisim v'niflaot, which we didn't talk about, but which I talked about this morning at uh, 5.30 in the morning on the web. If you weren't there, you missed it. But this, I didn't talk about this, so I'm talking about it now. I'm saying, where's the beginning and where's the end? So the rabbi says, I'll say it again. It's in the Mishnah, right? It's in, I'm not going to say it anymore. But, but I'm not trying to, uh, to give the Mishnah a bad deal here. It's in the Mishnah. So the Rambam says, that there's an ethical component, a religious component. There's something, you've got to tell the story of the development of Am Yisrael. That's what the story is. So, that's the principle. I've got to look for a beginning that's knut and an end that's shvach. And so the Rambam says, what do I find? Matchilu misapeh. Matchilu misapeh. Now in the Gemara, this is a machloket of Moraim, a machloket of Rav and Shmuel. And there's a, a, a Rav, it would seem, Rav had one Haggadah, and Shmuel had another Haggadah. But you know very well that we put it all together in our Haggadah. We don't miss a trick. We, we say, Rav's Haggadah, we say Shmuel's Haggadah. So what is it that the Gemara says? The Gemara says, Matchilu misapeh shebitchila yuavoteinu 
בימי תרח ומלפניו כופרים וטועים אחרי ההבל ורודפים עבודה זרה. who don't understand yet that there are certain kind of really hard questions you shouldn't ask. So you say to the little kid, don't ask that question. <laughs> but it's a real question. How is Avram Avinu related to Terah? So you know that the Maharal goes to great extent in Netzach, in the book called Netzach Yisrael, to explain that Avram Avinu redeemed himself entirely from his heritage. That Avram Avinu, unlike anybody else in the world, and that's what made Avram Avinu, Avram Avinu was somehow not related to his father. Can you imagine that? He wasn't related to his father. His father was his biological father. But if you looked at the DNA, every time Terahs went this way, Avram Avinu went that way. Right? Somehow, it was totally different. It was not the same. You could not tell that Avram Avinu was the son of Terah because... Avravino made himself into something new, something that didn't exist in the world and that could not be seen as a descendant of Avravino. So it's a little strange for us. What do you mean Avravino being made Terach? I never heard of such a thing. You ever hear a Jewish kid named Terach? Thank you for not saying yes. <laughs> I mean, I like it's, it's, it's inconceivable. You know, somebody like, like, finds out that they're Jewish. It's like reading the Chumash. It gets up to Terah and they have a baby. So, oh, you know, like, there you go. Unlikely, right? You think a Jew could go around and say proudly, you know, I have like, there are different people in my family. Some are religious and some are not religious. Religious ones, they're called Avraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov. And then they're the non-religious ones, like Terah. Have you heard anybody say a thing like that? We can imagine talking at a, a chassim about the chassim and Kala and saying, oh, they come from fine stock, Avraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov. Oh, there's a little Terah on the side. I've never heard such a thing. Only in Haggadah. Only Haggadah says, listen, we are the children of Terah. Now, I want to tell you something. It's also true. It's also true that there was this problem. You know, at the end of the parish of Noah, the Chazal wanted to know how Avram Avinu did the mitzvah of Kibbutz You know, he was in a costume. He had to leave. What happened with his Terach? Terach died, he lived. But then there's another pasuk in Lechlechot. Terach is one in Lechlechot. Ato... Shalom. That somehow you're going to get together in Olam Haba. Can you imagine this? Avram like they're at the repetition, Olam Haba, they're dancing around. And you, you take a piece of herring, I'll take a piece of herring. Can you imagine this? That's what Chazal say, that Avram Terach, Akadosh Baruch said. The Ramban at the end of Noah says this. Everybody knows that the halacha is 
that all the trees are ra'ui to be kindling for the Mizbeach. In other words, you need wood for the Mizbeach. You go out and you get a tree someplace. Right? And you put it, use it for the Mizbeach. Any tree is good. However, you can't use the tree of the Zayit and the Gefen. The olives and the grapes. Why not? Because the olives and the grapes, the oil and the wine, are used for the korbanot in a different context, right? We need them. So the Gemara says, the Gemara says about this, like what is this, what is this called? That the olives and the grapes save the trees from getting burned on the Mizbeach. It's called, it's a Gemara. The Gemara says, Itzilu haperot et ha'etzi. The fruit saved the wood of the trees. So the Ramban says, that's Avram Avinu. You know, when, when, uh, when Terach got to the gates of Olam Haba, whatever they, whatever they are there, those pearly gates, is that how they say? When Terach got there, so Terach starts and they say, Terach, you go over there, you know, take the elevator to Gehenna. So Terach said, what do you mean Gehenna? My son is Avram Avinu. So they said, oh, take the escalator up. That's what they said to Terah. According to the Ramban, that Avram Avinu saved Terah. I'm going to tell you the story. As I said that in the other one hand is the Maharal. The Maharal says there's no connection between Avram Avinu and his father Terah. On the other hand, there's the Ramban. The Ramban seems to indicate that that even though there was no there was no spiritual pressure going down, like the download was was totally missing, but the upload was there. I mean, I mean, it's like like how could a person not be influenced by the superior qualities of his son? So. Now listen again to what we say on the night of Haggadah. Now everybody has said this for the last hundred years and not paid any attention to it, right? But listen again. Now you start paying attention. He says, hayu avotenu That we come from a stock of Ovdei Avodah Zarah. That's what we say about ourselves. That we don't deny our inheritance. We don't deny the genetic issues that we have within ourselves. We don't deny the fact that we are part of humanity and that the weaknesses of humanity are ours. And so Matchil Bignut is the story of why Yitziat Mitzrayim happened. We had to go through an experience. Remember, Rabbi Salvechik liked to use the word cathartic, which was nice because I had to look it up and find out what it meant. You know, it was always, whatever else he taught, he also taught a few good words in English. But like the experience of, uh, like, of, of, uh, uh, I mean, so you have a problem. So if B'nai Israel are genetically impaired, if B'nai Israel can't do it, 
but they can't get out of themselves, they can't get out of their, where they came from. So what about, what about Matan Torah? I mean, who gave them the, who made them worthy? Where did it come from? Where did B'nai Yisrael suddenly be able to stand before Har Sinai and say, we're ready, we'll take it. So the, the, the story that you're supposed to tell is this. And you know that the Rambam, the Rambam is, uh, likes that word, emet. Right? The Rambam coined that great phrase at emet, that we have the capacity to recognize truth. That's, that's the Messiahim. And then we say, after all, it was not something that we did on our own. I mean, this is a story we tell. I mean, that's telling the story. As the Rambam tells it to us, we on our own remember of the scion of the Ode of Avodah of the days of Terah. The whole world was Ode of Avodah And then Allah came Avram Avinu. But Avram Avinu is no guarantee because Avram Avinu had a son whose name was Yishmael. Not such a bad fellow, but certainly not the kind of quality we were looking for. And Yitzchak had a son whose name was Esau. Certainly not a, a reputable kind of personality who steered away from Avodah And then Yaakov had a variety of children. Some better, some worse apparently. Some did what he thought they should do. Some didn't do what they should do. And therefore the story is that Kervano HaKadosh Baruch Hu La'emet that the Chesed that there's a chesed involved in the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. That on our own we couldn't do it. On our own we couldn't do it, but we had to get to the point where we recognized that we were missing it. And so Chazal say, Chazal say with that insensitivity that they had, and that is repeated, of course, by the Kabbalists, that the Jews in Mitzrayim were in the Memtet Shari Tuma. What's Memtet Shari Tuma? I don't know what that is, but it sounds bad. It sounds bad. In other words, in other words, Abdus was the destruction of will. And in order to, to, to cling to the Emet, you have to have will. You have to be able to determine something about what you're doing. And therefore, the sensitivity of Chazal again is that they couldn't daven, they couldn't turn to God, they just screamed in a voiceless way, not even expecting the redemption to come. Allah called Moshe Rabbeinu and he said, HaKadosh Baruch will take you out of Mitzvah. So that's the story. That's the story. It's about Chil Begnut. We had to work it out. We had to see how, how bad we could be. We had to see what was inside of us. Right? Without the MRIs. Well, I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> like rabbis say things like that. Right? Don't want to become a rabbi at this late stage in my life. So the, the, uh, the, had to come and get us out of it. That, that's the story. The story is, we are who we are. And we had to overcome in order to receive the Torah, to be to all stand at our Sinai and receive the Torah. That's the story. Matchil Bignut, that's who we are. Messiah Bishvach, 
according to the story is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu did it for us. HaKadosh Baruch Hu got us to Har Sinai. Har Sinai. That, that's another story. That's also a story. But this is the story of Yitziat Mitzrayim. So that Yitziat Mitzrayim, according to this Halak of the Rambam, has a purpose. And the purpose is, is, is about the, the, the essence of the nation as a nation and wrenching them away from their tradition, connecting them to Terah. Right? All of this is part of the story. And the story is, uh, is Matzil Biknus and Messiah Bishrach. And that's what, that's what the Rambam, that's what the Rambam says. And then he says, V'chei. Right? I told you there are two opinions in the, in the Gemara. Right? Rav and Shmuel, Explaining the Mishnah, two opinions. Bechem, Matchiu Umodia, Shavadim Hayinu Leparo Benitzrayim, Bekola Raasha Gimalun, Umisayen, Benisim Beniflaot Shasalano Uvechem So now let's look at the words. There's another story. What's the Matchiu Bignut? What's the negative? The negative opening of story number two. The negative opening is Avadim Hayinu Leparo That's the negative. In other words, what's negative about it? I mean, uh, we didn't make ourselves slaves. They made us slaves. So I imagine that the negative of Avadim Hayinu Leparo is it had to be. There was no other way for Am Yisrael to be created, except with Avadim Ayinu Leparo Mitzrayim. But there's an addition here, and that addition is Kol Haraas Shegimalundu. In other words, when Akharish Baruch told Avram Avinu that we would be slaves, that we would lose our ability to have freedom of action. We would not be able to say, to think, to act in any way we wanted. It apparently did not mean that the slavery would be terribly oppressive. But we learned something about slavery. And that was that the slavers like it and are not prepared to give it up. And if they think they're going to lose out on the slaves and the slavery, they become tougher and tougher and less humane and less humane. So we learn something about relationships. And we learn that slavery, national slavery, is an unhealthy kind of relationship. So that the Matchil Bignut is slavery. We had to go through this process of losing free will and denying our ability to make serious choices about who we were and where we were going. So we were enslaved. But having been enslaved, we learned something about those who made us into slaves. And what we learned ultimately was the Torah said, don't ever go back to Mitzrayim. Don't take the people back to Mitzrayim. 
don't go back to Mitzrayim even for business. In, a, in other words, this produced a stain. It wasn't the slavery per se which was oriented by a Kodesh Bochu, but the Rambam says, the Rambam says, and all the way the Mephoshim explained that the Egyptians were punished heavily because they chose to inflict pain far beyond that which was necessary. So those who were slaves learned something about slavery. And this is not a paid political announcement. But what they learned was that slavery enslaves the slavers. There's very little that you can do about it. There's very little chance that you have to free yourself from being a taskmaster, a slaver, a person who is in charge of other people's lives. So there's that other story. And then that story ends. Misayem benisim benithlaot shenasu lanu uvecheyuteno. Because the Nisim and the Niflaot, right in the second story, we mention Nisim and Niflaot. In the first story, we don't mention Nisim and Niflaot, according to the Rambam. The second story, we mention Nisim and Niflaot, because the Nisim and Niflaot was set up against the taskmasters, the Egyptians. The Nisim and the Niflaot were not taking the Jews out of Mitzrayim, right? You understand that if God wanted to take the Jews out of Mitzrayim, you could have called them all to the Vatzau, everybody would have gone to the train station, and poof, they would be at Arsina. I mean, what do you need all this, all this movie stuff of Dom and Svadeya and Kinim and Aro, and that was all against the Egyptians. And why were the Egyptians worthy of punishment? Because they defiled their humanity. Because humanity means, apparently, that you recognize humanity in others. That's what humanity is. But when you look at others and you don't see humanity, you see slaves who don't deserve to live, to act, to think, to walk. They don't deserve any of that. Then you lose your humanity. The Nisim and the Niflaot, according to the two stories that are projected by the Rambam, the Nisim and the Niflaot were a punishment for the Mitzrim, for the Egyptians, taking matters into their own hands. For the Egyptians not just being emissaries of God, enslaving the Jews so that they could be introspective about who they were, but the punishment for the Egyptians was the excessive cruelty that they applied to the slaves in Mitzrayim. So that's the Matchil Begnut and the Mesayim Bishvach, right? Mesayim Benisim Beniflaochina Sulanu Uvecheritainu. Now it's interesting. If you look back at the Rambam Halacha Aleph, the Rambam says, Mitzvat Asev Shalat Torah. You know that whenever the Rambam says in the Yadah Chazakah, Mitzvah say, what's going to come, right, whenever he says Mitzvah say, Mitzvah Lotah say, what's going to come immediately, or almost immediately, 
is a pasuk. Because when the Rambam says that something is a mitzvah, he means it's written in the Torah. And when he says it's a love, it's also, according to the Rambam, written in the, written in the Torah. So that's what the Rambam says. But before he quotes the psukim that make the mitzvah into a mitzvah, right? In other words, you know that the Rambam also wrote a book of mitzvot, he counted the mitzvot, he accepted this principle that there are 613 mitzvot, even though it's always hard for us to understand why that became uh, like a treasured tradition, right? That there are 613 mitzvot, when we know that the people who tried to count the mitzvot, Rav Sajigo, the Bahag, the Rambam, and others, but these are the famous, these are the famous mitzvah counters, had difficulty squeezing the mitzvot into 613. It was not so easy. The only way you could get 613 mitzvot is if you group some of them together and say, well, you know, this group counts as one. Even though you don't really mean it because in terms of the obligation, that each one is an obligation. But the Rambam, when the Rambam in the Adam Hazakah says something to mitzvah to say, Shortly thereafter, there's going to be a quote, a pasuk, right? So now the Rambam says, "Mitzvata seishel la Torah, lesafer benisim beniflaot she anasul avotenu benitzrael." That the mitzvah is to tell about the miracles that happened in Mitzrayim. This is the story that you have to tell, not about Darfur and not about some miserable situation, other miserable situation in Africa, even though it's true that we Jews are sympathetic historically to tragedy, on the night of Pesach we are obliged to tell our story. Which doesn't mean that any other story is not valuable, important, or worthy of telling. It just means that on the night of Pesach, this is the story that we have to tell. And Nisim and Niflaot. Nisim and Niflaot are the essence, according to the Rambam, of the story. Because what the Jews learned in Yitziat Mitzrayim, and what the Egyptians were incapable of fathoming, if you say to yourself, those Egyptians, how do you think the stubbornness of the Egyptians was powerful enough, right, you know about stubbornness, that after the Makat Becharot, after the firstborn children were killed in Mitzrayim, they got themselves together, they pulled the horses out of the chariots, and they ran after the Jews, eventually running into the Yamsuf and drowning. And where did they get that Koach? Where did they get that perseverance from? I mean, you know, like you beat people and you beat them and then they stop getting up after a while. Because the, the Egyptians believed that the divine concern of HaKadosh Baruch for B'nai Yisrael was facultative. It would come and it would go. It was, it, it maybe it existed in the cities, but not in the country. Maybe it existed in Egypt, but not outside of Egypt. Maybe it existed later on in Canaan, but that was the Egyptian idea. The Egyptians lived with this world, in this world where there were many gods, vying for authority, and the authority of one god might be seen on one day, 
But on the other day, and they were certain that they would find, that they would find the opportunity to do in the Jews because at that moment, God would not be interested in their faith. And therefore, Yitziat Mitzrayim was the great teaching which created the nation of Yisrael. And that teaching was that irrespective of what is happening, irrespective of, you could say, a reality that we are involved in, irrespective of that, the concern of heaven for Am Yisrael does never changes. It never changes. And that is what gave Am Yisrael, I think, the strength throughout history to, to make it. I mean, after all, there's got to be something that we were holding on to. So this is what we learned in Yitzhak the tribe. We learned that it was true in the city, and it was true out of the city, it was true in the Yamsuf, it was true after the... It was true every place, every kind of territory that you could imagine. There was an unflinching concern that HaKadosh Baruch Hu had Kaviyochel for B'nai Yisrael, and that we somehow got it into ourselves, that that's what the nation of Israel is. That's what it is. Not a nation without tragedy, and not a nation without problems, and not a nation where uh, everything is happy and everybody is, uh, is smiling. No, no, nothing like that, but a nation which is confident about God's concern and therefore that the timeline that we call history is moving irrevocably towards a particular goal, which we know a little bit about. We know a little bit about. And that's, that was the creation, that was the creation of Am Yisrael. That's the Nisim V'Niflaot. Nisim V'Niflaot, as you know, the Rambam says many times, that Nisim V'Niflaot are relevancies. I mean, why... Uh, why do I have to mention that God could do a miracle? I mean, God is God, so God could do a miracle. Whether God can't make frogs, or God can't make lice, I mean, the whole thing doesn't make any sense. Why would you even think about it? Right? The Rabbi says that even the miracles of the desert were just pragmatic. They weren't uh, to show faith. People don't come to faith through miracles, through odd things that happen. That's not faith. It's only people who have faith that see the miracles. It's faith. Put forget Everybody knows that, that you know, that, that good things happen sometimes to the Jewish people. Sometimes they happen to If you were in Israel after the Six-Day War, you have to be a certain age. And you know that the Frum people said it was a miracle. And the Frey people said it was a great victory. What does that mean? That, that's what it means to be Frum. That's what Frum is. Frum is you're willing to see God working in the world. And that for means you're not willing to see. Whereas it doesn't really matter. It doesn't mean how many times you can explain it. I can explain it. I mean, I explain political, political explanation, military explanation. You can explain it 150 times. It doesn't matter. <coughs> I can still say it's a miracle. Right? I can still say it's a miracle. So that's what Am Yisrael learned in Yitzhak Mitzrayim. That there are nisim v'niflaot, and nisim v'niflaot is what we talk about. And nisim v'niflaot means, nisim v'niflaot means, God is concerned about Am Yisrael. And that was the imut, that was the tension that was created between the Egyptians and the Jews in Mitzrayim. 
The story of Yitziat Mitzrayim starts in Mitzrayim, where the Goy, where the, the Egyptian said, no, no, it looks like God is concerned, but just, we'll drag it around a little bit, you'll see that God is not concerned. And Am Yisrael was to learn that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is ultimately concerned. And that's what they learned at Yamsuf. At Yamsuf something so remarkable happened that we say, What does Vayaminu mean? It means always. Amen. Amen. It's unchanging. It's not just, oh great, you know, God's straight to see, so I'll bring a sacrifice. Not quite like that. Vayaminu Vashem. Which means that everything turns into emunah. Everything. Not because I don't think that there's science, or I don't think that science is anything to say, I'm certainly not, uh, not in that camp. I'm just saying that, that somehow I imagine the world where God is behind it. Where God is on top of it. God is under it. Like there's some kind of a, a rationale to the world that we live in that goes beyond uh, the, the dicta of, of science. So we now know that the Rambam thought that the echo of the Sipur of Yitziat Mitzrayim is the Nisim V'Niflot. Later on in Halacha Dalit, the Rambam says, the Rambam says there are two stories. Right? The first story is, Mitchil Ovdi Avodazah, you have a And the second story is, Avodim Ayinu Leparo B'Mitzrayim. But only in the second story, only in the second story is there a mention of Nisim V'Niflot. If you look again, which were done for our on our behalf and in order to set us in order to set us free. The Nisim So that means according to the Rambam we know that the second story has to be told. Because that's the story of Nisim Viniflaot. But the first story of Mitfila of the Abu that's kind of set up on that other story, right? The Nisim and Niflaot story you have to tell. That's the essence of the story that we tell on Pesach. But the Mitfila of the Abu there's a story that comes from the story. There was once I realized that God is concerned about us. And once I realized that we have a promise, implicit and explicit, that history is moving towards a reasonable goal, and that at the end of days, everything will be better, as it might be. Right? That's where we're moving. That's the direction that we're moving. That's called eschatology. There's the, the reality of the end of days. Once I realize that, my obligation becomes even greater. And I think to myself, Mitchila that wasn't the story per se of Yitziat Mitzrayim, but it's a secondary text that comes from awareness. But once you realize that God is making God available, so to speak, to us, Right, in order that we should be protected, in order that history should make sense, 
in order that things should be moving in a certain direction, then we see another story, a more important story. Mitchila of that we also have the enterprise of purifying ourselves, of making ourselves into the people that we might be. So that the two, two stories are told. One is the more obvious one, the Mitra story, and the second is, in my opinion, the more important story of Mitzvah of the Avodah but you couldn't tell that story without the first story. And even though it may be, according to the Rambam, a little bit backwards, right? but the Rambam knew that, because there's no doubt that story number two is about Yitzhak Mitzrayim, it's about Avadim Ayyudim Barav Mitzrayim. But uh, uh, you could take that question to your Seder and talk about it. I'm sure you'll come up with a, with a good, good answer. Now, okay, I'd like to make a, one more point. And that point is that, or the point I'd like to make is that we have an obligation on the night of Pesach, the Saper. Right? The Saper. It is said in the name of Chaim Brisker, everybody knows that the Saper is to tell the story. And telling the story is different than Zecher, the memory of something. To remember Yitziat Mitzrayim is a word. We say Kriyat Shema in the morning, we say Kriyat Shema in the evening, we remember Yitziat Mitzrayim. Zecher Yitziat Mitzrayim. We do endless mitzvahs. Or there are endless mitzvahs about which the Torah says, Zecher Yitziat Mitzrayim. The Maral and Teferet, chapter after chapter after chapter explaining why those mitzvot are called Zecher Yitziat Mitzrayim. But the Sipur of Yitziat Mitzrayim, as opposed to the Zecher of Yitziat Mitzrayim, is a creative event. It's a learning Torah event. It comes from, as the Rambam says, the Pasuk, Vigadata Levincha. And we all know that the essential Pasuk that describes Talmud Torah is Vishinantem Levonecha. And Talmud Torah is essentially about creating the next generation of the Jewish people. I mean, that's what we are all charged, we are all charged to do. We don't always do it personally. We send our children to schools. We hope they'll have good teachers. We hope the teachers will imbue them with the special spirit of Am Yisrael. But that's what Talmud Torah is. It's true. Am Yisrael needs plumbers and electricians and scientists. And they also need Oskin and Roshay Yeshiva and, and, uh, and Dayanim. They need all of that. But that would never explain why there is a universal mitzvah every single Jew irrespective of his talent or capacity to learn Torah irrespective of his capacity to memorize tremendous amounts of information and, and interlock them one way or the other every Jew is responsible for the mitzvah of Talmud Torah. And you know, you know, that the mitzvah that we call Piriyah Rivya, the mitzvah that we have to reproduce ourselves, 
right, to have children, is um, controlled by a pasuk in Yeshayahu, right? And in that pasuk in Yeshayahu, it says, Lotohu bira'ah, lashevet yitzarah, that the world was not created tohu, right? That was what God cleaned up. There was tohu davoh, God cleaned it up. Lashevet yitzarah. The world is made to dwell therein. And that pasuk is seen as a directive to Am Yisrael and to all the nations of the world. In other words, the charge to have children, to have families, to keep the world going on a kind of uh, protein manner, right? It's like it's all there, is balanced by another charge, which is called Lashevet. You've got to teach the next generation how they are to place themselves in the world that HaKadosh Baruch created. This is a charge that applies to all of God's creations. However, the way that Am Yisrael fulfills that charge is Vishinantem Livanecha. You have to get the children involved. You have to get them to be part of whatever is going on. Not because this is an educational trick. Like you go and you teach children things that they can't really understand. No. That's not what we're doing. What we're doing is creating the next generation. And the way we do that is by saying to the children, these are the basic values. This is what we pass down to the next generation. That's the obligation of Shinantem Luvanev. The Sipur Yitziat, Yitziat Mitzrayim, as opposed to the Zecher of Yitziat Mitzrayim, is in the same category. The Sipur Yitziat Mitzrayim is not about, it's true, if there are no children, if I don't have any relatives, if I'm sitting by myself, who ever heard of that? You know, like, but you know, Chief Esau Frank, who was the rabbi of Yerushalayim, used to have a Seder by himself. He used to have a Seder by himself. He would drink the four cups of wine, he'd eat something, he'd go to sleep. It would take him 15 minutes, and he'd go to sleep. Because that's what Professor Frank said, that when you drink four cups of wine, you're considered to be drunk. And the people come to ask me Shilas, so after the Seder, I wouldn't be able to answer their Shilas. So he used to make the Seder very quickly, go to sleep for a half hour, get up, and then he would answer the Shilas that came out. Remember, in those days, people asked Shilas. It's like a different world. You know, they didn't get it in a package. They asked the Shilas. So this is what, this is a story about Supasa Fred, was the rival of Yerushalayim. This is how he made the Seder. But most people don't make the Seder that way. So it's true that the Bidiyavid, you have to learn yourself, and you have to talk to yourself, and you have to, you have to get into it, even if you're by yourself. But the essential way that the Seder is supposed to be done is Vigadatul Levincha. Vigadatul Levincha means he has to understand what you say. He has to understand what you say. And even though the Seder becomes a, like a double-edged sword. You know that everybody's chayev and the mitzvahs halaylo. Everybody means men and women, everybody above the age of mitzvot. Everybody's chayev. And the women, 
the women, uh, uh, not because, the, in this case, it's not because the men are um, uh, pigs. I would say that in a nice way. Chauvinists, right, thank you. That means they're chauvinists. Because the women, you know, they, they, they go with the baby's crying, so they go talk to the baby, the, 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 the food is cooking, so they look at the food, and they go to the kitchen, they talk to each other. I want you to know, every word in the Haggadah, every word, from the beginning, Manishtana, including Manishtana, Manishtana should not be said by the resident cute grandchild who is able to squeak it out on his own. It's very nice, it's very wonderful, but Manishtana is part of the Haggadah. So after the child shows you his prowess, right, like you could make a mistake and start thinking, singing Adam's Miros by mistake, <laughs> but after he finishes, everybody has to say Manishtana. The men have to say Manishtana, the women have to say Manishtana. Now it's true that of course the post you Think about whether you, the, the halacha of Shomer Ka'omer applies to the Haggadah as well. Of course, so that, that maybe there could be one person who says the Haggadah, one person who said the Haggadah. I remember Zechariah, my father, used to say the Haggadah. I could never understand how he got those words out so quickly with the niggin, and, and, uh, and I just tried to, I tried to imitate it, but I was never able, never quite able to do it. So, so maybe Shomei Kone, like, like one person could say the Haggadah, and the other people sitting around the table could listen, follow along, and they don't have to say the words. They say maybe, but they have to be there. They have to be there. You can't, Shomei Kone doesn't work. Like you leave the Haggadah, you leave the Seder to take care of pressing business, whatever that might be, and then you come back for Dayeni. <laughs> no, that's not what it is. You have to be there, and if you have to go out, leave for Dayenu. Right? That's the better, that's the better method. Even though everybody likes Dayenu for some, some reason. Uh, but okay. So, the Shinantan Levonecha we talked about. I we talked about Yigadatol That there's this great educational experience, which is connected to the Sipu Yitzhiyash Mitzrayim. So first you have to understand what the Sipu Yitzhiyash Mitzrayim is about. So the Rambam says, meets him and he flows. Then he says there are two ways of telling the story. One is the expanded Nisan and Niflaot story, and the other is with Once you understand what the story is, and once you remember what the ideas in the story are, then you can do, then you can do Vigaratolavimch. I mean, don't think that this is an easy matter. And don't think that, you know, like we said before, that if you just give out the Manashevitz Haggadah, you solve everybody's problem. The Haggadah is complicated. It's made up of different pieces that have different meaning. If you don't give it a little bit of thought, I know that Rabbi Scheinberg, uh, from my, my neighbor, Rabbi Scheinberg, publishes this uh, uh, undercover Pesach sheet, you know, which can only be uh, received by the faithful. And in this undercover, uh, uh, the reason it's undercover is because he says that it may not be so important for the women to spend a lot of time cleaning in places where there's no point in cleaning and they might be better off preparing for the same. That's what he writes. Of course, this uh, caused a furor 
amongst the women who we'd rather clean than prepare for the, for the Seder, but he did write it down, and it is clandestinely uh, distributed. I think that uh, cleaning is very important, and, um, you know, let they be, let they be clean, you know, like, uh, I mean, I'm not, uh, but you have to understand, I mean, you do understand, that clean is not the antidote of chametz. Like, if you have a very clean house, and a gluska yofo, gluska yofo is a, a cupcake, <laughs> a cupcake with sprinkles on it. You know those kind of cupcakes? With like in the middle, like a little cream in the middle. You know, the, so like, let you have a, a like you, your house is cleaner than the hospital, and, and it's like, but there's this gluska yofa someplace on a shelf. You just forgot to look. You've had it. You have had it. The only thing that can redeem you is participating in the sin. <laughs> so I mean, I mean, clean is clean, and chametz is chametz. And the first thing we have to think about is getting rid of the Chabbat. The second thing we have to think about, that, because that, we do that, that's our responsibility. We have to get rid of the Chabbat. The second responsibility is getting a matzah. But you know that we don't, uh, most people, buy matzahs from some agency. And they don't go and do it themselves. So, you know, uh, that's easy. Matzah is easy. And then there's the Seder. So at the Seder we do mitzvahs of eating, which are also easy because we get around to them rather late at night and we'll eat anything, even a couple of pieces of matzah, and even some matzah with lettuce, which we would never eat during the rest of the year probably. But we eat it with a relish because we're hungry. But then there's the Seder, then there's the Seder. And the Seder is about telling the story. And telling the story is about finding meaning in the story that you tell. And then when you find meaning in the story that you're telling, you could share it. You could share it. But you have to have something, something to share. Today, I think uh, somebody did a reckoning. There are more books that have been published on the Haggadah as commentaries than any other Jewish book. Today, of course, they're all published in English as well as in Hebrew. So I think there's no real difficulty in finding something to transmit, something that you could kind of sympathize with. And it would be like your own. Like, you know, not all chidushim have to be inventions. They can be adoptions. Sometimes you read something or you learn something and it strikes a chord and you say, that's me. That, that I could say. That I could say over, and that's what you have to. That's what you have to look look for. That's why there's so many different options. But the Rambam taught us what the outline of things is, how it is we should look at the Sipur Yitziat Mitzrayim, and what it is we are looking for when we're looking for something to say at the Seder. Right? What we want to do, remember, is share. We want to share something that means something to me. I hope it means something to you as well. That's what, by the way, that's what teaching is. Teaching is sharing something. If you teach things that you're not interested in, then I think everybody knows that right away. And unfortunately, many teachers have that 
problem. But if you really want to teach, you have to share. You have to tell the children something that you like. Sometimes they don't even have to understand what you're saying to benefit. Sometimes they just see, oh, the teacher, he really likes or she likes to learn Chumash. Or he or she likes to talk about Torah. I don't know what he's saying exactly, but I feel that they really like it. And that's what makes an effect. That's what makes effect on the children. Unfortunately, in my, I'll tell you my opinion, right? Fortunately, we became like a nation of quizzes. We have like, instead of learning, we, we say, you memorize it, I'll quiz you on it, right? Then I'll give you a prize. I'll send you to uh, Eastern Europe, if you like. Know the answer to 4,000 questions. Okay. But that's the, that's the story of the Haggadah, that's the Rambam, Chakosha Vesameach, all the best.